We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... And so with that, folks, we'll jump right into this week's Bills... And folks, with so much to talk about, I think... Mm. Trying to find a way to segue, because if we're going to put Reed in at all, like if you get a hold of him, that's where I would do it. Or you just keep going. And so as always, we will launch into this week's Bill's News Update. I want one more take at this. And now, folks, and no. And that, that, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> this is exactly what's happening. Try to compose myself so I don't fuck this up again. the 200th edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And Chris... That was you. <laughs> that was you. You know, we are a pre-recorded podcast, and there are times where you fumble over your words and have to start over again. Oh. It's not often that I save those recordings, but for whatever reason, I save that one. Proof, folks. What a long, strange trip it's been. Chris, when this thing first started, we were hacks. And now we're hacks, better dressed, we enunciate a little bit clearer, our bits might be a little bit more cohesive, but hacks nonetheless. Well, it wasn't until after the first season when, oddly enough, when I separated from my wife that we started adding in alcohol. Because the, <laughs> the first season we started doing this, we would have like a drink or two. 
We wouldn't go ham like we do now, like 7, 8, 15, maybe. Folks, we have a packed show for you tonight. We're celebrating our 200 sep- 200 ep- uh, See? <laughs> See? You can't outgrow it. Our 200th episode, we've got uh, probably the most unique guest, Chris, we've ever had on this show. We have a new guest. Steering directly into something that I have decried since the beginning of time, and certainly since the beginning of this podcast, analytics and incorporating them into scouting. I know. I know. Listen. I know it sounds bizarre, but everything sounds bizarre. Chris, we're four weeks into quarantine. Four weeks now. I know. I need a haircut. I got to open this beer. I'm getting thirsty over here. Chris, how have you made out? How are you holding up? Not good. I need a goddamn haircut. Chris, this mop gets it gets actually more and more impressive every time I see it. I know it's odd because I have, I have not styled my hair for what seems to be years, but you like about a week and a half. I have not been able to style my hair or my mohawk rather the way that I would like to, and it's disappointing. Chris, you look like you used to look like pre pre marriage, pre divorce. Like you look more like the schlep that I knew. Way back before we ever started rolling the microphones in here. That'd be like 2012. 2012, Chris Krueger. You look like him if he tried to join, like, uh, what, like, uh, what's, that? what's the band I'm trying to, the Mumford and Son. Don't know, I could not tell you any one of their songs. <laughs> Good. You You're might not... you might be able to play me <clears throat> one of their songs, and then I would go, oh, that's who sings that. I'll tell you what, Chris, the four weeks, week four of the quarantine has seen Drew Gear. I'm, I'm in a weird place, Chris. I'm running out of steam. I'm running out. First and foremost, one of the things that's been saving me is our, the old football games that you've been putting in the Google Drive. Yep. For our listeners out there who don't know, for as long as this quarantine goes on, Chris has a, just what, probably 30 some odd bills 30, games? Yeah, 30 some odd games anywhere ranging from the early 90s, mid 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. So... We're going to be uploading them to a Google Drive where you can go, you can download them, you can watch them. You can do whatever you want with that to, to help kill time. It's stuff, some of it's so old it's not even available on the NFL Game Pass, Chris. You might have the old, only copies of these that are still in existence. Well, not really. I got them from Eric Harris, another listener to the show. So, For anybody out there who wants access to the Google Drive to help you kick time, shoot us an email at rockpilereport716 at gmail.com or just shoot us a tweet at rockpilereport. But I've been rewatching those old games, Chris. But I, I'm telling you, Chris, when I'm left to my own devices, things get squirrely. I mean, this is where I've, this is where I am, Chris. I don't know if it's rock bottom. I've bought a lockpick set, a lockpick set, and I've been practicing using it. Do you want to know why? Like to pick a, <clears throat> like to pick a lock. Yes. Okay. Are you auditioning for the Italian job too? <laughs> I don't even know why I bought it. Boredom. Well, Chris, I'm now sitting around while I'm, I'm working from home in my office waiting for spreadsheets to compile, practicing picking locks. Why? I saw it in a movie and thought to myself, I got time. That seems like a skill I should have. I don't even know why. Chris, this is lunacy, and I don't, know what, I don't know what's next. One of the other things that I've started, which my wife thinks, my wife both laughs and think is one of the, thinks is one of the dumbest things she's ever heard of. I started assembling a photo album. Sort of like Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec with his... Uh, steak and whiskey. With his steak and whiskey scrapbook. Documenting for all time, in living color, 
all of the meats that I've grilled and smoked while being locked down at home. This is where we've gotten, Chris. And I'll tell you, it, 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 it's becoming substantial. I mean, I just smoked my first brisket, which was a learning experience, but I think I, I for the first time, I did pretty damn well. Washed it down with a little Eagle Rare. I did beef ribs, which sucked. They were terrible. Chris. I could have told you that. I don't eat your goddamn ribs. <laughs> and I had some chicken, and I drank an entire Sierra Nevada IPA sampler in the process. I did ribeye steaks this past weekend and washed them down with a little Highland Park 12 year. Okay? Next on the docket, I'm going to be trying to perfect bite-through skin on chickens. Well, I've got like 13 pounds worth of assorted sausages from Hansley's Gourmet Sausage. Chris, that three, that turkey that you gave me at Thanksgiving? Oh, that's, that's right. I forgot I gave you a turkey. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got that in a brand new turkey fryer. Brand new turkey fryer right out of the box. Chris, I'm going to try not to blow up the neighborhood. Well, yeah, and you better let me know when you're doing that because I want to eat some of that goddamn turkey. I I've, gave it to you. Chris, I've been trying not to get fat during this quarantine, and I think at this point I have no choice but to just steer into this. Yeah. I mean... Anybody else out there, if you have any weird habits you picked up, any strange projects you're working on, anything outlandish, we've all got nothing but time, so why don't you share yours with me? Maybe I can diversify the lunacy that I'm subjecting my wife to. Yep. Just tweet at us, at Rockpiled Report. <sighs> Chris, the one thing that's gotten me through, though, gotten me through this past week, was looking forward to tonight, our 200th podcast. 200! When this started, did you think we'd make it 200 shows? Probably not. I mean, I've said it before, but I didn't. If anyone was going to bow out out of this, I thought it would have been would have been you <laughs> bowing out of this. But I don't think we're slowing down anytime soon. Chris, we've recorded in four different places. Do you know that four different locations that we've recorded from? My apartment with the constant sirens that yep. was next to the police station. My basement, your apartment here, and you were in Kentucky once. Yes, for the, a recording. The, That's how dedicated of a producer you are. Yeah, we. That was in 2015. I was sent to go to uh, Mazak in Kentucky, and they sent me during December. And I was like, they were like, "Well, this is what the flights look like." I go, "Oh no, 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 no! You're going to give me a rental car, and I'm going to drive. That way, I can take all of the equipment because <laughs> we had a podcast to do." Chris, what did you think this podcast could be? I mean, not to, to toot my own horn, but I thought I thought we could we could have something here because you're uh, passionate. Uh, you have is uh, that the is that the term you're choosing to use? Passionate. You have a lot a lot of anger, uh, and you know football. You know football probably up until about four or five beers. And then, <laughs> and then, and then your intelligence just takes a nosedive. But I think what's great about doing this podcast is that we, you and I both know our roles to the podcast. Everything that is discussed on the show comes from your head, your brain. My job is just to press record, make it sound professional, and do all the production, audio, video, Anything of that nature to make it sound good. Did you ever think that it would become something that over a thousand people a week carve time out of their schedules for? I mean, it's still 
still mind-boggling that a thousand people generally come weekly to listen to us, but I figured we could get some listens once you wrapped your head around being able to speak into a microphone, which you still haven't done. (laughs) Uh, And I guess personally, because here's one of the things I've, Chris, I've learned is that you and me, we were acquaintances. You were the friend of my ex-girlfriend's best friend, best friend. You were dating her. And then throughout the course of us trying to kick this thing off, everything just went tits up on your end. Yeah. I broke up with my girlfriend. We had no, you and I didn't have a reason to continue being friends. Well, whenever I came to a Bills game, I always knew to come to your tailgate. Mm -hmm. That's just about the, the gist of it. But I mean, this, we didn't start discussing a podcast, I think until 20, end of 2014. And I think by early 2015, I got a mixer and a couple of mics. And then I think in June and July and maybe August, we did one show a month just to like kind of get our bearings together. Me, so I can handle all the production. Oh, yeah, no. You we, and all of your writing and your thoughts to paper to And be, it was horrible. Yeah. I mean, and, Chris, Chris, let's give the people a taste of what the first episode sounded like. Well, this is the first of many unofficial podcasts. I don't know what to call this right now. What, do you, what would you? What the you, Drew Gear Rock Pile. This is the Drew Gear Rock Pile uh, podcast. We're here to talk about the Buffalo Bills because that's really all that matters. I mean, so a lot of things to go over. It's been an interesting off season. Chris, terrible. I cringe when I hear it. But the thing that I love about it is that that's when you and me. Again, I'm dating someone new. You're off with your wife who hates my guts. And yet we had this podcast. And then through that process, I got to look at you every single week. Yeah. And we went from being two guys who do a podcast who are kind of loosely affiliated with one another to being friends who see each other every week. And then I was in your wedding. To being one of the groomsmen of my wedding and a fellow season ticket holder. Chris? Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for not uh, choosing me for best man. <laughs> Chris, I would never ask you to speak publicly, ever. I mean, I, I barely let you talk on this podcast. But so with that said, I have allowed Chris, have allowed Chris to choose some of his favorite audio from the last 200 episodes. <laughs> it's Chris, some of these, I'm looking at the list, it's fantastic. First of all, Chris talking about dating... Yeah, this was right after we, my wife and I had separated. I met somebody on Tinder, and uh, she was friends with people who hung out at Ying's. That's because you, I don't know, I don't even know what you do with your free time. Saturdays, I usually go play pickup hockey. Yeah, except for this last Saturday when he was hanging out at Ying's with some chick named Kat. For those of you who Kat, don't know, my friend, Chris is now, my friend Chris is now trying to date. He's trying to back, he's going back into the foray of dating. Now, Chris, answer me this. All right. When you took her out, did you open the door for her? She was already at Ying's. Does she generally hang out at Ying's? No. So then why was Ying's the destination? She was with two of her friends. So she hangs out with people who hang out at Ying's. Yes. For anyone who doesn't know what Ying's is, 
It's a bar on Transit Road in Depuch slash Cheektowaga that I'm pretty sure if you set foot in for more than 45 minutes, you may or may not have hepatitis C. Go do yourself a favor and get checked out. Picture a bar that's dimly lit. It's kind of, it is the epitome of dank. If you looked up dank, there would be a picture of Ying's sign next to it in the dictionary. Part of the floor is like tiled, and then part of the floor is just bare concrete. And the concrete is always wet, but I've never seen anyone spill a drink on it. That is just unsettling to me. But Chris felt it. You know, like that was a good place to go for a first date with possibly a future girlfriend. It was not. I wouldn't call it a first date because we didn't meet on Tinder. The only one I've only actual person I've talked to on Tinder. Chris Kruger, folks, sitting here in his apartment drinking Labatt Premier Extra Light bottled water, <laughs> mixing his Maker's Mark with Coke, and meeting chicks on Tinder. Yep. So, let me ask this. When do you guys plan on meeting up next? Tuesday. Tuesday? What are you doing? Drinks. Drinks where? Probably, like, Jack Devine's. Downtown or Hamburg? Hamburg. By the stadium. God. She lives in OP. Duh. Where do you want me to go in OP? Where do you want me to go in OP? I want you to go to hell. <laughs> That's where I want you to go. Where do you want me to? Where do you want me to go to an OP? God, oh! It's the happy hour. Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go for happy hour? If cirrhosis of the liver wasn't killing me, it would be you. It would be you talking about you dating this girl. I've only met her once. Yeah, but you sent her five thousand text messages. Literally, no. that's not an exaggeration, folks. The number no. is five thousand seven hundred and sixteen. Something like that. I'll get it. Good Two Lord. seconds. Three, two, 5,956 text messages. <laughs> this, this, this is my podcast partner, folks. Dude, I have not sent that, that amount of text messages to my own wife. I don't think anybody sh- I haven't sent that many text messages since I got my new phone back in March. Get the hell out of here. I cannot believe that I sent that many text messages to somebody I had met over over Tinder. That's what I think is hysterical. And look, how how long did you talk to her for? Maybe like a month. Yeah, exactly. Which is why that much investment is stupid. You're dumb, Chris. That that's one of the dumbest things you've ever. Oh no, no, no! Strike that from the record. Second dumbest thing, short of ever bringing Labatt grapefruit into this house. That's right, Chris. Our first ever beer review. What do you do with your chicken wings? You wash it down with a good beer. Oh, and- boy, folks. Here it comes. So Chris was bored, as he usually I'm is. Not, I wasn't bored. I was grocery shopping at Tops. And he goes to the store and just wanders because he's single and lonely. Ladies, if any of you out there want to date with the man, the producer of the Rockpile Report, you I'm can available. find him wandering your local Right here. Tops. I picked this up at Tops. He found a grapefruit Bud Light. No, Grapefruit Labatt Blue Light. I hate you. Okay. I like all Labatt products. So I saw it. I'm going to try it. So we decided here on the air we were going to have a sip of it. during our, And we're having chicken wings. And we're going to have this as part of our chicken wing and beer discussion to see how this beer rates among other beers in the Buffalo area. Hopefully, it's, hopefully it would compliment a delicious breakfast. 
Well, I'll say this. At first glance, it looks like a bottle of moose piss. Okay, so it looks like I am holding a bottle of urine. Yeah. It has a slightly sour smell to it. Makes my my mouth pucker when I smell it. My beer should not make me pucker. <laughs> Chris, I have a feeling that this is going to be like a Seagram's. Bottoms up. Oh, yeah, that is horseshit. Wow. <laughs> this is awful. Good Lord. Who? It's... I've never had something be both bitter and sour at the same time. This is but if but but but, but Labette, you figured it out. Did you, guys, did you, this beer guys, gets a you, solid thumbs down. I wish I had more hands so I could give this beer four thumbs down. This gives it like a Dave Bautista thumbs down when he power bombed <laughs> Triple H <to> the table. <laughs> This might be the worst thing. This is disgusting, but we're going to have to finish this 12-pack off because that's oh all I have. Oh, my God. Ugh. This is gross. Yeah, guys, do yourself a favor. Don't. out on this. Not all the wings in the world couldn't make this beer drinkable. Do not buy Labat Blue Light Grapefruit. How, wait, how many ice is how How? So there it is, folks. Two Buffalo guys drinking a Buffalo beer telling you it's crap. Stay away from it. How how long did do, the, the, does beer stay good? I, I've decreed. I could take this to Atlanta when I go to my brother's wedding. I'll just you could take that out back and bury it where it belongs. <laughs> See, my favorite part of that was uh, you describing it as holding a bottle of moose piss. How else are you supposed to articulate about that kind of swill? You can't. It was bad. Ugh. And your taste hasn't gotten much better, Chris. Now, let's not act like you've grown. No. My taste is not good in beer or women. But it hasn't all been bad. I mean, Chris, we did get to we get to celebrate your divorce, your official divorce, and the moving forward of a man on this podcast. We have an announcement to make. <clears throat> in the matter of Christopher A. Kruger versus one Shannon M. Kruger, this action was commenced by filing the summons and complaint on December 16th, 2016. Defendant was personally served in the state of New York on March 20th, 2017. Plaintiff appeared pro se in this action. Both parties consented to a default divorce based upon the separation and property settlement agreement entered into between the parties on April 17th, 2017. The court accepts as written proof Chris Kruger's divorce, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. Finally back on the market legally. And there you have it, folks. That is an uh, all-time favorite clip right there. You reading my divorce papers <laughs> on air. See, and like I said, it's weird the way we've kind of grown together as friends over the course of this endeavor. All right, let's podcast. not get too sentimental on this. All right, all right. <laughs> and then, Chris, I think for you, something that I think I can see you having a lot of personal, like, you were on radio. You worked in radio. Yep, you I produced was, a radio show. Yeah, I was on, uh, helped out with the Thrashers broadcast, you know, uh, being there for pre and post game show, connecting back to the radio station and doing all the, the production stuff. But, uh, you know, when I get asked to uh, segregate a clip that would get played on WGR, I was just all over it and. I guess kind of anal about it, of like where the clip begins, where it ends. Chris, 
you're not an emotional guy. We we talk about it all the time. You have the personality of a hornet and the sense of humor of a dead moth. Yes. And this is this is you. We joke about it all the time. Except that it's real. But you have feelings. You do. You have some. Yes. And you have to feel proud of this fact, right? It is July 15th. 14th. 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 It's the 14th of 2017. And the Cleveland Browns roster is better than the... By the way, I'm Nate Geary. The Cleveland Browns roster is better than the Buffalo Bills, and they will have more wins than the Bills in 2017. Eat your words, Geary. Eat them. You're willing to put yourself out there. I Eating kind of a slice of humble that. pie tonight here on the Real Deal Overtime Show. Eating a slice, a big fat slice of humble pie, and it is delicious. This is the first time I've really embraced being wrong. Typically, I don't yeah, you'll like fight tooth and nail. I do, even if I'm wrong, mostly I'll fight you that I'm. At least somehow a little bit right. Yeah, you, you want the credit for being maybe a little bit I'm right. I'm going to eat this and I'll one. Give you, I'll give you a little bit of right. They do not have the first overall pick on the field. Uh, I mentioned there, and if you, you, you heard my little, my little blurb. You know what, Derek? Let's play it again for the people. Just, just the raw cut. If you, you, because I really... I'm, pr- I'm a little proud of this. This is a proud moment for me. This is like a dad moment. This is growing up. Go ahead. Go ahead. Play it one. is July 15th. 14th. It's the 14th of 2017. <laughs> and the Cleveland Browns roster is better than the... By the way, I'm Nate Gary. Running at a double down. The Cleveland Browns roster is better than the Buffalo Bills, and they will have more wins than the Bills in 2017. <laughs> and that, uh, that sound coming directly from the Rockpile Report... Uh, Drew and Chris do a great job in their podcast. That was from them. So if you want to check those guys out, do it because they do some good stuff as well. But um, that might be the first time that Nate Geary came on our show with a Cleveland Browns hot take, which is now what he's known for. I mean, you hear it in his intro when we bring him on the show. He's the purveyor of Cleveland Browns hot takes. He's something, Mr. Nate Geary is. But that's the thing, Chris. We, we've gotten to know Nate Geary. I mean, we've gotten to know a lot of things. We've gotten to know a lot about each other, and we've kind of... This podcast has done a lot of things for both of us. I mean, for me, it's scratched a creative itch. You know, That's the reason I went to school for journalism in the first place, was because I enjoyed creating things. Investigative reporting was probably my biggest passion. I like digging into things, numbers, facts, and I like telling stories, but not just... Chris, I can never do fiction. I can never do fictional writing. I liked telling stories that I thought were important. I mean, when I was in college, Morrisville State College, there was off-campus apartments that were owned by this slumlord. First name is Doug. I'll let you guys go figure out his last name if you feel so inclined. He owns the apartments around colleges like Morrisville, Oswego, you know, SUNY schools, Chris. Like four or five of them all over New York State. And for our investigative reporting 201 class, we were told to basically find a story that you think is worth telling. And do kind of an expose on it. Well, this guy owned all the off-campus apartments and he, Chris, he started remodeling them over the summer. But then since Morrisville's a small, it's a cow town. It's like North Collins, but with a college in it. And he just stopped paying the construction workers. No reason. It's not like he was bankrupt. He just stopped paying them because Morrisville wasn't high on his priority list. 
So, but he, but he took all of the money from kids who had put down deposit and paid rent and to, for the entire semester. So kids were showing up and had apartments with no bathrooms. Unfinished, Chris, ripped down to the studs. Exposed wiring all over the place. These apartments were a mess. You had kids living in, had gone to Walmart and bought tents so they could sleep out in the park just so they had some place that like, hey, I, I don't have an apartment. I can't move my stuff anywhere. It's essentially a storage locker. So we wrote a massive expose on it. And Chris, it was one of the most gratifying things I've ever done. I mean, someone phoned in an, an anonymous threat to the school that if we did, Chris, it was great. Our teacher had to sit us down with a straight face, say, hey, guys, you can continue trying to write this thing if it's up to you. <laughs> There's a, th a threat has been made to your personal safety. And Chris, I loved it. Because that's what I, that's, that for me, that's what, I like telling stories that I think need to be told and talking about things that I think need to be talked about. And it's the, it's the art of ch digging into that kind of stuff that really gets me fired up. So Chris, when it talks about this podcast, I mean, in my own life, when I gave up pursuing that as a passion and decided just to work with money and numbers and reporting, it killed me a little bit. It really did. And this podcast, that, that you, I got to give you credit, Chris, cheers, that you pushed me to do has not only given that, me that aspect of my life back, but it's, been an, it's become an outlet for all of the thoughts that, are, that would otherwise just pinball around inside my head. And uh, Chris, you've seen it happen. I would waterboard the first, all of them would just pour out all over the first person that casually asked me how the bills are doing. Okay, uh, before we were doing this podcast, even when I would come to your tailgate, you know, there would still be times where you would waterboard people with your opinions uh, on the Buffalo Bills. But. You know, people say I'm an angry guy and I talk too much. That's not the case. I, ha I just have a lot of opinions and I need you to know all of them before you get to speak again. That's it. You have a lot of opinions that you believe are correct and you will... You do do this a lot. You you will take an argument and you will die on that hill. You have to. Otherwise, what are we doing here? What is life if you're not willing to stand by the things you say, even if they are nonsense? But Chris, this has been a lot of fun. And it hasn't just been something to get me out of the house once a week so I can go drink beers and be loud and obnoxious. Like it, It's five years. And while it seems stupid, people are like, oh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Or you'll tell people, hey, I do a podcast, and they look at you out of the corner of the eye like, oh, okay, you're one of those guys. It's given me an incredible amount, Chris. Bucket list opportunities that I don't think I ever would have had before in my life. Training camp credentials. Getting a taste for what professional journalism is in sports. Getting to know some senior members of the media. And doing this all well enough to know that I didn't, I don't regret the life path that I chose. I don't regret not taking journalism as a career. I don't. Yeah, I don't regret not sticking with the radio based on what they pay those people. Exactly. I mean, Chris, the live shows that we've gotten to be a part of, we've gotten to go out and do between Rock Sports Network, the guys from Trainwreck Sports, this annual potathon thing. We've gotten to go and have some really great sports conversation. I've gotten to drink and laugh a lot with people who do the same thing we do. Chris, I've gotten the experience of getting to sit there and interview guys like Fred Smurlis. You know, sit right next to you and shoot the shit with Thurman Thomas. Yeah. That's not anything that would be that wouldn't be possible without this. And then think about all the people we've gotten to know. I mean, 
I almost look at it like a draft class kind of a thing. Look at the people who we've collaborated with over the years, who kind of came up alongside us and have gone at Ryan and Icy from Rock Sports. Yep. They have a TV show now. And before it was kind of a fly by night, hey, let's take a let's take a stab at this. Now they're established. Yeah. And the the other one that's established that a lot of you guys might not know, Eric Turner of Cover1.net. <laughs> He, his first... And The Athletic. Yeah, and The Athletic. His first ever radio podcast hit was with us. <laughs> and, and so we've gotten to watch these guys hone their crafts and kind of grow themselves while we all collaborate and kind of help each other out. I mean, Chris, Travis Wingfield. Yeah. We were just talking to him earlier. He's probably... Guys, when we met Travis, he was just a freelance journalist just kind of penning Dolphins talk for anybody who would give him 500 words worth of space. Website, newspaper, didn't matter. He was there for it. After getting to know him, you know, we gave him some tips, some tricks. You know, you I, helped, I helped him out with some production stuff when he was with Locked On. Okay. Just a little bit of support in podcasting. You give him a push towards it. We get to watch him grow, not just as one of the most... Chris, he didn't just grow one of the most successful independent podcasts that existed. I mean, it was bigger than Tony Kornheiser's podcast. He is now a Miami Dolphins employee. That's insane. Chris, he's the, he's one of the 0.01% of people who do this and have it turn into the career you're chasing. Yeah, it's like going to a it's going to like a, a bar concert and seeing Metallica and then Five years later, they're doing an arena show. That's like <laughs> exactly. that's, that's what it's like. And so knowing that we've gotten to just know all of these people and, and not just know them from a pr- content production standpoint, but personally, as friends. You know, we see Victoria and Eric every summer. Yeah, we have the, the meetup at Deep South Taco downtown. We see Ryan and Icy at every single one of these events we go do. I talk to these guys probably every day. Yeah. I mean, it's You can't tell me, Chris, that you saw any of this. When you badgered me into agreeing to a podcast. I don't I don't think I saw... I just saw us being able to do a podcast kind of successfully where you'd get like, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 downloads, which is, which is pretty, pretty good. But I never, I never put it in my head that we would get opportunities to go to, to training camp or you to be on, on TV and all of these opportunities we've got to work with other people that do Bill's content. And it's a lot different than, you know, at least from my experience, you know, I guess, what, 12, 13 years ago when I was in radio, because radio is extremely cutthroat. Podcasting, totally different. Everybody supports everybody, and I love it. You have to. Because, Chris, my paycheck isn't tied to this. I'm doing it for kicks. And what do I I care? We talk about it all the time. Comedians in this famine mentality. It's not the way this needs to be. I mean, Chris... The more people get along, rising tides float all boats. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to just have that? And in that way, Chris, and I guess that camaraderie that comes out of this, it's also prob- that's probably my biggest takeaway from this podcast. If it were to end today, Chris, just the friends I've made, and I know that I know you're already rolling your eyes. You, put, number one, right off the bat. You have become a much better friend of mine through our time devoted to this. Yeah, and and the fact that I am not married, I have the opportunity to have season tickets with you. <laughs> because let's be honest, at this rate, there's no way you would just, you know, just you and Potter going to the games. You wouldn't do that. 
Potter and I would kill each other, I think, at some point, or we would just never make it. We would we would never make it into a game if that's if that's what happened. But I mean, I, Chris, I'm just looking at all the people I've gotten across paths with over the course of two what 200 episodes and five years of podcasting. That now we talk sports with on a daily basis. Guys who we collaborate with, people whose families are now friends with mine. I mean, Chris, think about the listeners that we've gotten to meet, hang out with. Just Chris. From Virginia to New Jersey to Florida, all over the world, really. Think about that, Chris. There's people from different continents who have come here to hang out and watch football games with us. Uh, I would have to uh, immediately begin with uh, Rowan in Australia, who listened to our podcast early. And then came back when we were better. And the first po- the first tailgate he had stopped by to, to see us, he legitimately told us, yeah, I listened at the beginning, and it sucked. Thank you. We genuinely appreciate that. Uh, I mean, Chris, people who have brought their friends, their families to our tailgates just to hang out, say hi, have a couple beers, break bread. That's what this whole thing is about. It's community. And uh, Chris, I'm, th- I'm picturing after our win over Denver, Sitting in my basement with uh, Mike Swenson from Australia and his buddy Jay from Calgary. Listening to Jay, who's hammered at this point, lament over the fact that he only has one wall-mounted TV in his house. Why won't won't my wife let me have two? I have a job. I work. How come I can't have two wall-mounted TVs? (laughs) Chris, these experiences. Sit, Rowan. Yeah. Comes back to my house and hangs out after that uh, Jets game. Yep. You know, we grab a little something to eat. We shoot the ship before he goes back to his hotel. Fucking Hugo. Hugo crashed with me the night after our loss to the Patriots. And the next day, I took him out to Duff's for his first ever uh, whacking wings over at Duff's. Every one of you guys who we've gotten a chance to meet, interact with, you've all made an impact on my life. I'm sure, Chris. It's insane the reach our podcast has. Across the globe. It's and f- insane. And for all of you guys out there like Kevin Harrington, who will message me randomly just to be like, great show. Like That's something that someone out there is acknowledging the fact that you're working hard at this. And when you get to meet that guy and his wife and his kids and you hang out and you have a beer or two together. Chris, isn't that, that's what this whole thing is about. It's people. It's meeting people. And it's getting out there. It's, it's, it's not just about thinking you're right. It's just, hey... Can we make something that entertains people and entertains us? Yeah, because you don't have, at least locally, you don't have a whole lot of options. We just got one sports station and then the, the drive time, morning drive and afternoon drive. They've been there for what feels like 20 years. So, you know, people are trying to find a new voice, and hopefully that's us. The other, the other thing, Chris, I will say that I've learned over the five years that we've been doing this podcast, the, maybe one of the best parts is that it's like a time capsule, Okay. In the run-up to this show, I went back and listened to dozens of our podcasts, something I don't typically do. No. When we record our show, I don't go back and listen to it because I feel weird hearing the sound of my own voice again. Like See, when we started, I used to just to... To me, it's cringy because I hear all the things that I... Th- <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, lis- I don't listen to it in that aspect. I'm listening to it of how can we get better and, well, you know me. Yeah. I hate every show we do. Yeah, it's like what what can we do better from the last show? You know, and I'm just trying to think of everything that I learned when I went to TV and, and radio school, and most of it was trying to give you 
tips and things for you to do better <laughs> as a host. And then it, you know, it took me a, a season or two to figure out that you're not going to listen. No, and you're just, <laughs> okay. and it's, I'll just, fine. I'll just listen for me and try to get better on my end. Yep. And you, you're just going to yeah. let me figure it out. Yeah, because you just, everything I've ever learned in life, Chris, has been the hard way. Everything. Yeah. From getting thrown out of college with a .98 GPA. Yeah. Point zero point nine eight GPA. Yeah. That happened. Guess what I learned? I didn't really care as much as I thought I did. There you have it. Everything I've learned the hard way. Podcasting has been no different. It's one thing I, I hate listening to it the week after we've recorded, Chris. I don't listen to our shows, but going back and listening to all of these old shows, it's like a time capsule. Okay, because this, this isn't just for me to vent, but it really does record for posterity, which, if you take yourself too seriously, can be really dangerous. All of my thoughts and feelings and opinions trapped in a moment, and bottled up, and stuffed on a shelf. And anytime somebody wants to, or even if I want to, I can go back and I can listen to my the, the fact that I didn't like the Trey White pick. The fact that I thought Matt Milano was a throwaway. Ah, that's a throwaway pick. They wasted a fifth round. Well, the, uh, with the Trey White pick, that's um, one thing that we do on this, on this podcast is learning about things, what we should and shouldn't do, because we had the 10th pick and... <laughs> we, I have this idea. Let's just do a draft show, like unedited, uncut draft show, and we ended up trading back to twenty-seven, and then the recording just got way too long. You got fed up and left. It was and, an Obama. It was yeah. in my house, and I left the podcast. Yeah, we had twenty people crammed into my basement bar. We're recording this podcast. I've got friends of mine throwing around profanities and epitaphs in the background. And finally, I'd had enough, and I just left. I left, and then it was just Chris and two microphones. Yeah. Well, no, we had four. We had you oh, had a bunch and of Doug, people and Doug. Yeah. So and we had Doug all, trying to keep things going. Yeah, we had all all four mics going, and that's you know that's you know we tried it and we learned from it. We don't do that again. And the other thing that we don't do is we don't ever do any kind of podcast recording. Directly after the game. No, now we do press conferences because people have convinced us that game day Drew is so much different than podcast Drew that that needs to be recorded somewhere. And Chris, I not gonna lie, that podium's pretty friggin' sweet. Yes, it is. So there's more of that coming, but folks, throughout this review, I guess what I've taken away from this is doing a podcast. It really has allowed me to just Chris catalog and save. <sighs> All of the crazy thoughts and opinions and feelings I had <laughs> over the last five years, which Chris, it couldn't have come at a better time because has our franchise really seen as much change in the last over the last two decades as it has in the last five years? Yeah, we. Uh, I think the last. I want to say the last two to three years. We've I think had our serious podcast, change. I think our podcast, Chris, it was kismet. Perfect time, perfect place. Almost like that show, Perfect uh, Strangers. Yeah. You even look like Cousin Belky. Yeah, so Belky Bartakamos. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris, you want to talk about my favorite podcast moments. It was really hard to pick a few. We've had in some incredible guests and so many great conversations. I mean, even if they weren't great, they at least made me laugh my balls off. But there's some moments that were memorable, memorable to me that I wanted to bring back. I just want to hear them again, Chris. 
The first one is the time that EJ Manuel ruined my entire Sunday. I'm glad that at least two-thirds of our country tuned in to see what we get to watch every week. With this garbage loss to a football team, we cemented our position in the basement of the AFC East. Jaguars wouldn't have been up if EJ Manuel didn't decide to spot them 20 points. 20 points. EJ, if if someone puts this in your ear, if you get to hear this somewhere... Hang yourself. Sincerely, Drew Gear. But they have to fire someone in the coaching staff to send a message to this football team. They have to. It's the only way to get it back. And even then, I don't know that we're we're not a playoff team. We're not. If we're going to lose to the one and five Jacksonville Jaguars, spot them twenty points, and then still find a way to piss away a f- lead to them. Hopefully, it's Dennis Thurman. I'm sorry, but I've never seen somebody do so little with so much. That guy's a f- ass. I'm sorry, Matt Hasselbeck played as a backup with a dog defense and managed to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, and somehow the Bills couldn't do it. That was you after the <laughs> EJ Manuel London game, <laughs> and we learned not to do a podcast, not to do podcast. Ab- directly after the game. I will, <laughs> I will tell you this, that whole like clip, you said that within the first 12 minutes, and then we were like, all right, we gotta, you got to stop. Chris was this like, is right, like off the rails. You, what do you think happened when I drink a Magnum bottle of champagne by myself? Probably a half dozen to a dozen beers. Chris, that whole day sucked. My wife ended up ordering. She was pumped because I fell asleep in a bathrobe on the floor of the spare bedroom. <laughs> I slept all afternoon. And she ordered Chipotle for dinner. The house was quiet. She got to paint her nails in peace and watch whatever she wanted to on TV. Chris, it was probably the best Sunday of NFL football she's had ever since we had a relationship. And this is why we don't do podcasts on Sundays. But there were some banner moments in there too, Chris. And I think one of the best pieces of production I've heard from you ever was the send-off you had for Kyle Williams. Hey, Coach said it right, man. The team that sticks together longest and grinds it out. That's us, man. That's what we live and breathe by. Hey, we worked our way through a mountain of adversity, man. Some tough stuff. I mean, as tough as I've been around. That's what I like about you guys, man. Character and hard work. Let's keep going, keep pushing, and let's keep working now. Bills on three. One, two, three. Bills! Organization is going to release that this weekend is going to be my last game in Buffalo. He's like one of those Volkswagen Beetles that just always goes, and you can hear it coming down the street from about three blocks away, and you hear it, it grows, it gets louder and louder, then a bang, it goes by your house, and that's the way Kyle plays, and I appreciate that. Kyle Williams, touchdown! Amazing! Unbelievable! They put in Williams at the fullback. And he scores a touchdown, the 12th year defensive tackle into the game, and they're going nuts for the heart and soul of that Bills team, Kyle Williams. This game is going to be won in the deep water. 
what I mean in the deep water. Everybody's comfortable in the shallow end with two feet on the ground. All right? We live in the deep water. We live in the deep water where it's uncomfortable, where it hurts a little bit. That's where we live. And I'm not talking about playing hard. Everybody talks about playing hard. I'm talking about flaming your guts. I'm talking about from the bottom of your feet. I'm talking about seeing sparks in your eyes. And it hurts. I'm talking about straining for that logo on the side of your helmet and not the name on your back. Because we know what it represents. It represents everybody here you see and everybody you can't that we've talked about. Not us, right? Well, not us. Yeah, not, not us. us. Let's tank it, man. Let's 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 just be done with it. You don't know anything about heart. You don't know anything about work. That's who we are. That's who we love. These boys are gonna enjoy it with their dad. They knew what was coming. They wanted to come celebrate with us. Hey, hey, man. Coach and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is a start. This is not a finish. This is a start. All right. Let's stay on it. Let's stay on our standard every day and let's go mm -hmm. make some noise. Bills on three. One, two, three. I wish I had video skills to my repertoire because all of those clips, I would like to watch those clips while Chariots of Fire are being played. <laughs> Chris, it's... It's one of those things I hear, and it gave, it gave me goosebumps a little bit. Like, I still remember Kyle Williams, what he meant to this team, what he means to us. I want to run fans. through a wall right now is what I want to do. Like, Fucking right. <laughs> and then, Chris, there's something like, and I guess this is just, I don't, I don't want to say selfishness, but our very first season did not go well. It was the first season of the Rex Ryan era, and we had our hopes up. I did. I really thought this was going to be the team, Chris. After we almost shut out the Colts week one, I was like, oh, oh, this is the team. We're going to the promised land. And as the season wound down, and it turns out we are not, Chris. I think that's when they pulled the, uh, well, what, Chris? We were five and three and then just faded hard. Yeah, to like eight and eight, nine and seven. Eight and eight. I, I believe we finished. Towards the end of the season, I felt like I had to come up with something. It's like, Chris, if we're going to do a podcast, this is our very first year, and if I don't do something, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to freak out, and I'm going to say, Chris, this is back when I was still trying to be composed, Drew Gear. The guy who doesn't yell, the guy who doesn't lose his temper behind the microphone. I came up with the idea, I was watching Seinfeld, and the Festivus episode comes on. And I realized what we needed for the show was an airing of Bill's grievances. And it spawned what might be one of the most successful bits. At least the one... Chris, if I'm talking about from a creative standpoint, it's one of the bits of this podcast that I'm probably proudest of because five years worth of them were still rolling. Yeah. And people seem to dig it. Yeah, that's your, that's your bit that, that you came up with, <laughs> and it's, it's great. It's a, a hit every, every Christmas. I mean, you have yours. Beer Watch, that was something that I came up with where we count our beards during season. So, exactly. So I think we started that the second season, and you know, we've drank documented over a thousand beers together. 
Well, and part of it is because of all the things we talk about during our airing. Chris, Chris, the airing of grievances. The whole idea is that it's supposed to be therapeutic. And man, have some people gotten some shit off their chests. The fact that we cut Fred Jackson and didn't make the effing playoffs. It's a Festivus miracle. Not a Festivus. You know, it's a miracle is that he landed up with a team that made the playoffs. Fred Jackson's going to make the playoffs for the first time in his entire career, and it's not going to be wearing a Buffalo Bills helmet. That makes me sick to my stomach. Lars, host of the Bills and Beers podcast, he writes in, Ownership has a three-stream reporting structure of head coach, GM, president. When you oversee everybody, nobody oversees anybody. So from players to the head coach to the GM, there's no clarity on who the fuck is running things. Oh, this one's my favorite out of anybody that tweeted us. Uh, Dr. Kyle Trimble, who was actually on our show for the soft tissues uh, piece. I hate how often Jack Nicholas gets mentioned as O'Leary's grandfather. <laughs> Kyle, I love that it's, one. It's like the announcers I love have, it. It's like the announcers don't have anything else to say. They, they they've run out of anything to say when they come up with his name. Not that you know he won uh, the award for being the best collegiate tight end the year he came out for the draft. Not that he played at Florida State and competed for a championship. No, no his Jack grandfather <laughs> won the fucking Masters. Flying 20 hours to what is supposed to be a relatively cold city, in quotes, to be greeted by what must have been the hottest game in Buffalo history. Even hitting my Australian ass completely sweating balls, next year I'm making it a snow game. That comes from Mike Swenson, our listener and longtime Bills fan, all the way from down under in Australia. So the team itself has been a pleasant surprise, guys. They've been a pleasant surprise. They've made me feel quite good about being wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not, I don't want to make it sound like this is a grievance against the team, because it is a little bit, but it's a grievance about timing, and it's a grievance, <laughs> and it's a grievance about reaction. And it's the benching of Tyrod Taylor for Nathan Peterman. You all suck. You all suck. Everybody sucks, okay? Nobody thought the guy was going to throw five interceptions. Come on. Nobody nobody knew that was going to happen. Everybody thought it was going to be better. Everybody was supposed to be better. Well, it sucks for everybody. You like Tyrod. You hated the move. You like Peterman. You loved the move. And then after it, everybody hated everybody. The whole thing sucked. The whole thing. The whole thing. The timing of it. The... The, the explanation of it, the execution of it, it sucked. The whole thing sucked ass, okay? So that's my grievance. It's not necessarily just on the team. It's on everybody else. You all suck. If I had to pick one thing, one thing about the entire season that has ground my gears, I'm sure you know what it is. It has to be the fact that no one to this point in the season has tarred and feathered and then dragged on horseback out of town our offensive coordinator Rick Dennison. The man is walking ambient when it comes to offensive creativity. He makes me sick. Sicker than this fig beer that I'm trying to choke down over here thanks to Chris. That's Lloyd's Christmas Ale from Ellicottville Brewing Company. (laughs) Chris, the audio stands, sir. The audio stands. It's been one of my favorite things over the course of this podcast. Yeah, it's it's a hit every year. I think every year that we've done it, it that segment has gotten longer and longer and longer. <laughs> 
because more and more people are like, wait a minute, you know what would make me happy is getting some of this animosity that I have off my chest. Chris, yeah. it's a great idea. It's a great idea. And I'm glad that I got to have it here in, in this kitchen with you. As lame as that might sound. <sighs> Just pop the cork on this Buffalo Trace and I'm going to pour myself some whiskey, sir. You? Chris, it's been 200 episodes. We've done a hell of a job here. Yeah, I'm not throwing in the towel on this anytime soon. Absolutely not. Hopefully, we will have another 200 more. 200 more, sir. Cheers. <sighs> All right. And so onwards and upwards, Chris, because we can't sit around here. I mean, listen, like Michael Scott from The Office, I'm a fan of fanfare for fanfare's sake. But we can't sit around here and pat ourselves in the back all night, can we? No, we can't. We have the defensive <laughs> line to talk about. That's right, folks. One of the final chapters of our 2020 NFL Draft Preview Series, the defensive line. We saved two of the juiciest positions for last. I'd say three. It started last week with running back, something that has picked up steam over the last few, what What do you want to call it? Last month and a half? I don't know. I just, amongst Bills fans? I just think amongst... The, the trade for Stefan Diggs reshifted everyone's thinking. Yeah, like we can go a bunch of different places at 54. Oh, absolutely. So the defensive line, as we start everything, we're going to look at the current state of the roster. When you look at the Bills roster as of today, our cap allocation to the D-line, $49.8 million. Percentage of the total cap is 22.5%, which is the highest of any single position group on the roster, Chris. It's 6% higher than the offensive line and 7% higher than the wide receiver group. When you look at the number of starters, I'd say I'd argue we have five or six starters on a four-man front. Yeah, it seems like we got a deep a deep roster here on that line. Oh, absolutely. And it starts with, the, Chris, probably the deepest is the defensive tackle group, which is where it seems like they spent a lot of their attention. It starts with Starla Tule. Veteran presence on the inside of the D-line. He's been here since McDermott got here. I think McDermott brought him in because he saw a defined role. It's kind of his zero-technique defensive tackle. He's going to come in. He's going to eat space. He's not going to give you a lot in terms of pass rush, but he's a big body who's going to be a rock that people have to move around. So his deal is to eat space and allow for one-on-ones elsewhere? Yes. Well, at least in a perfect world. <laughs> he's Chris, he's old. And he's getting close to the end of his NFL career. He, I mean, he restructured his contract just to avoid being cut. So he's got roster certainty until, until someplace after 2021. Okay, he at least knows what his future will be. Then you've got Vernon Butler, former first-round draft pick of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott as the defensive coordinator in Carolina. He was drafted to be kind of a penetrating three technique. Chris, they thought he was there at Oliver. Just this penetrating, pass-rushing defensive lineman. But he's had a really poor career thus far. And then last year, he explodes with six sacks, which is why he comes here on a one-year prove-it deal. Kind of like what we put Jordan Phillips on. Hey, you think you're good? You think that you're talented? Why don't you come in here, prove it? And if so, someone will pay you, whether it's us or another team. Yeah, well, I mean, he, I think Vernon Butler was the end of the first round, and Jordan Phillips was early second round. Yeah. So they have, a similar they have the talent. They probably were just not in the right system. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Quentin Jefferson, 
another addition, kind of under the radar, according to, you know, by the, I guess in the minds of some Bills fans, but I feel like you can't sleep on this guy. He's versatile in the fact that he can play five tech or three tech well. Chris, he's tough against the run, but finished fifth in the NFL for pass rush win rate amongst all defensive tackles. It's pretty impressive, wouldn't you say? Yes, it is. Okay. Seahawks fans were shocked when he left, given how important to their D-line he was in 2019. And fans of other teams who were supposedly in the hunt for his services were pissed when they saw what he signed here for. Because, Chris, it's not like we threw a ton of money at him. And it's essentially like we talked about during our uh, free agency recap. It's one of those deals that he's not a rental if you don't want him to be. But if you want him to be, certainly can. Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver, Chris. What did, what did you think of him in his rookie season? Was he, did he, he progressively got better just watching the Dallas game. Did he live up to your expectations as a top 10 pick? Yeah, he did. I think it. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a X's and O's connoisseur, but I don't know why I think that defensive tackle is would you would rank that position kind of up there as far as hard to translate from college to NFL because you're, I mean, well, he did go to Houston, so you know, yeah, he's playing against he played against Rice, yeah, he's playing against the men that play at Rice, <laughs> but he comes to the NFL and he, you know, you're playing against men. <sighs> He had a, I think he had a learning curve, which is why I kept saying they should make him a, he, he should be farther back in the pecking order than he was originally. He still needs to develop against the run, Chris, but he finished seventh for pass rush win rate, just two spots behind Quentin Jefferson. Think about that. We have two of the better pass rushing defensive tackles in the NFL currently on the Bills roster in those two. Chris, in his second year, I'm not saying Ed Oliver's perfect. In his second year, we're going to be looking for him to improve both facets of his game. He's going to have to get better against the run. Because if he doesn't, then you're not going to trust him being out there on first down. Right? Yeah. If you're going to have Quentin Jefferson and Ed Oliver out there, two of the best pass-rushing defensive tackles, it seems like uh, there won't be that many perfect pockets for our opposing quarterbacks. To Which is, from. I think, the idea. Yeah. And now, Chris, that's four D tackles. And you might... Maybe most teams would call it quits there. But we still have Harrison Phillips on the roster. A lot of people have forgotten about him. I'm not sure how much I'm, what, I don't, I'm not sure how, what I'm going to be able to expect from him well, coming off the ACL tear. And, and Chris, I think that's proof that we have a pragmatic GM. Look at this. He's put together a solid D-tackle group. Oh, by the way, Harrison Phillips is still on the roster. Former third-round pick coming back off an ACL tear. He projects more to being a zero technique or a five technique, you know, run stopper, not so much a pass rusher. He can push the line a little bit. He can command some double teams, get a little bit of a push. He's going to have to prove, Chris, that he can come back from that injury before he can be dependent on as any part of a rotation. And to me, I think, if anything, he's a candidate to start the season on the pup list, you know, where you get the first six weeks to activate it. Yeah, that's not shocking. I mean, we did have Trent Murphy. We signed him off of ACL tear, and he didn't really put out his first year here because I don't think he was, I don't think he was healthy. Yeah, he wasn't re-acclimated to Holy his knee. Holy shit, we made fun of me not being yeah. able to speak. And then Vinny Taylor. Who the hell is that? <laughs> I was waiting for it. That's exactly it. He's a guy we took from the Dolphins, former, former draft pick, 
He didn't make an impact last year, Chris. We called him up. He didn't make an impact, which is why we had to go out and get uh, defensive tackle Corey Legit. For me, Taylor represents practice squad eligible camp body. That's what he is. This is where things, guys, if you don't already have a drink in your hand, like I'm over here with a little bit of Buffalo Trace, you might want to get one. Chris, let me, let, let me explain to you the state of the defensive ends on this roster. We have Trent Murphy. Yes, I've ordered that. Chris, they're in order of cap hit. Trent Murphy, decent against the run, generates okay pressure, but was widely expected to be cut this season. Is there still a, would he ever be a training camp casualty? Could be. All I mean, right. Chris, we can get out from underneath his contract for almost nothing. He finished second in sacks by a defensive end, though, on the Bills roster last year. Behind Shaq Lawson. Who's not here. Which underscores, but Shaq only had six and a half. Which underscores for you that this group doesn't have a star. There's no star defensive end amongst our players. No, Murphy's aging. Hughes is aging. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, when you look at Murphy, he's not, a, he's not a bad player, but he's 29. And he counts 9.7 against our cap. He could certainly be upgraded heading into 2020. And if not 2020, 2021. Chris, he essentially, if you keep him on the roster, he represents a slightly above average presence on the edge. That's it. That's all he gives you. Jerry Hughes is in the same boat at this point. Veteran presence. He's still fairly productive. He generates a lot of pressure. But for the first time in his career, Chris, one of the things that used to really help Jerry Hughes make make his case for being on the roster was that he was very good against the run and he could cover the he could cover the short flat very well when he was asked to drop into coverage. He posted the second highest missed tackle percentage on the defense last year. Chris, he was over 20%. Over 20% of his tackles he missed. Yeah, that's not good. But he did manage to put up four and a half sacks. But again, he shares the Trent Murphy trifecta. You're aging, you're expensive, and you're going to need to be upgraded soon before your production completely dries up. Mario Addison. Addison isn't a true 4-3 D-end, kind of the way Lorenzo Alexander wasn't a 4-3 D-end. But based on his history and utilization, he's going to be a part of the pressure packages that we install in our front seven. Chris, he's somehow older than both of the guys I just talked about. Older. His sack numbers have been impressive. Okay, he has he has that going for him. And I was very, Chris, I'm not going to go back on this. I was excited about him during the draft, and I don't want our listeners to think I'm being a hypocrite. I'm excited about him being here as a free agent on a team-friendly, almost rental contract. I'm surprised you didn't start with that, that you uh, pegged him to come here before free agency. Because, Chris, we just spent 40 minutes of me patting myself on the back about how <laughs> fucking great I think we are. <laughs> Let's, we don't want to waterboard our listeners with too much of that. They'll think we have big heads. <laughs> My ego could fill this fucking room. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's one of the more embarrassing personality traits. about. <laughs> but with that said, you look at Mario Addison. Chris... His sack numbers are impressive, but how long can a 34-year-old guy keep it up? One or Getting two more nine years. sacks a year. One or two more years. Okay. And then behind them, you have Mike Love, Daryl Johnson, injury. and John Woodard. I don't know who John Woodard is. Okay. You have Love. Almost sacked Tom Brady. 
So far, that's a career highlight. We talked to him about it on this podcast. He represents the most, well, I wouldn't say most experienced. He got to start a game. Chris, he has one start to his credit, which no one else has. Yeah, we talked to him like a month or two ago. Coming off injury, that's... He's got those durability issues. Yeah. Johnson, athletic freak that we call the pterodactyl, just because of his ridiculous wingspan. He had a massive tackle for loss number coming out of college. Was the only defensive end not to miss a tackle in 2019. He was active every single week, Chris. Which I think illustrates where he is in the pecking order. And then you've got this Woodard guy who, Chris, I've literally never heard of before I looked at Spotrack, and I didn't bother investigating it any farther than that. No, nope, he's just a guy that's going to play most of the final preseason game. So when you talk about draft philosophy as it pertains to the defensive line, I hope you're all listening to the names that I just read off to you. We have a defensive tackle group this year that has depth, that has proven pass rush ability, that, Chris, they're five deep. If Harrison Phillips comes back, we have five NFL-caliber D-tackles on this roster. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know the numbers behind it, but doesn't McDermott and Frazier like to like heavily rotate that position? They love to rotate, but this might be the first time they keep five, Chris, because there's nobody in there you're cutting. You're not cutting. Uh, you're not cutting Butler. Nope. You're not cutting Phillips because you just drafted him. And Oliver, Star, Star just restart. Chris, the D tackle room is stocked. It's flush. You're not changing it between now and the end of the season. You're not, unless an absurd value falls to you that you can't ignore. I do not see a world in which. Of course, in which you make any tweaks between now and the start of the season, barring something catastrophic in training camp, to this roster at the D-Tack group. But when you look at the defensive end position, Chris, there is no middle ground with the defensive ends in the Bills roster right now. They're either aging and are clearly not the quote-unquote future of the team at the position, or have no established floor of talent that you'd be comfortable putting out there 16 straight weeks of when the regular season rolls around. Chris, you've got old guys, young guys with no floor. Doesn't that scare you? Yeah, it does. Okay. In that way, if the Bills are turning their attention towards the draft and thinking defensive line, the only logical place for them to do it is the defensive end position. But the Bills have a complicated history as it pertains to drafting pass rushers. No, Chris, when I say, oh, the Bills drafting pass rushers, they suck. Bruce Smith. Okay. The greatest to ever do it, in my opinion. The greatest sack artist of all time. I don't care who holds the single season record. I don't care about Strahan. I don't care about who was the bum who had it before Strahan. Um, I remember I, he was appealing it because he's like, well, you know, that last sack. Well, a lot of people like to look at Reggie White. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Reggie White. Yeah. Bruce Smith. <laughs> I mean, not to be. Which tells you how biased we yeah, are. Not to be a homer, but to be a homer, Bruce Smith, the GOAT okay. at defensive end. So you caught lightning in a bottle once, and since then, Chris, to say things have gone poorly would be a, a dramatic understatement. In front of you, because you know I love charts and graphs and all that bullshit, I want you to tell the people what you're looking at. You have a chart of every 
defensive end that we've drafted since Bruce Smith. <laughs> and I would like to point out that as a kid, I did like Leon Seals. He of does, course you did. He had well. He has that great highlight clip of just devouring Hostetler in Super Bowl Twenty Five. <laughs> but there's, I I don't know the. Some of them are highlighted. I would assume the green are Pro Bowlers. The greens are the ones who panned out even slightly. Made a Pro Bowl, had a positive impact long term on the franchise. All right, I can the see red that. are the busts. Aaron Maben and Eric Flowers. Read off the names in green. Uh, you have. We'll we'll start way back in '85. Bruce Smith, goat, and then in '91 we took Phil Hansen, 54 overall. Uh, was it '97 we took Marcellus Wiley, 52 overall. 2001 we took Aaron Schobel, 46 overall. So and that's we, it. So you're saying, so you're saying we got a history of finding our best ends in the second round. Chris, when you look past, take those four guys you just mentioned, highlighted in green, take them out of the equation. Then you're left with Chris Kelsey, Ryan Dennehy, uh, Leon Seals, Mark Pike, Alex Carrington. Tony Stewart, Alex Carrington. Wasn't Carrington only good for blocking field goals? Apparently. (laughs) I remember they called him Mega Hand. Chris? It's not good. What you get... Chris, when I look at this, guys like Ryan Denny, Alex Carrington, and Tony Stewart, who the f- I don't even know what they- I, I remember them because I'm a nut job, but it just makes me angry. The truth is, as a franchise, this team has been propped up by, by just a boatload of free agent and trade-acquired talent at the defensive end position, Chris. Because we either haven't prioritized them, or we just drafted guys who sucked. When you look at the shape our roster is in, it's not only a need, but when you look at the draft history and realize that defensive end is the only position outside of quarterback that Brandon Bean hasn't taken at least two guys at, and the only one that he did take was a seventh rounder, it's the one that Brandon Bean hasn't taken a swing at yet. That's it. I'll float the tea leaves for you, Chris. There very well could be a defensive end in the cards for the Bills in two weeks when they start reading off names at the podium. So now here's the question. With no first-round pick, who might be the team... Who might the team be targeting at the defensive end position? That's the question. Chris, you don't have a first-round draft pick to go get yourself a premium pass rusher. So you're going to have to go value hunting. And so with that, for those of you out there who believe that I'm incapable of growth, <laughs> who have tweeted at us anytime I mention analytics, and what did you do to Drew? He'd, listen, it's about stepping outside of your comfort zone. After 200 episodes, I can't keep doing the same thing. Sometimes you're going to steer into some alternative theories. I'm refusing to stagnate your people. And so in, that, in light of that, we introduce tonight's guest, Mr. Kentley Platty. Mr. Platty, how are you doing? Fantastic, man. Glad to be on. Ah. Now, we got hooked up with him because he followed us on Twitter randomly one night, and I went down a wormhole. Now, those of you who listen to the show know I, I dig analysis. It's what I do for a living. It's what I turn into. It's what I engross myself in after the Bills lose because I try to find meaning in it. He does a ton of it. 
Now, Kent, you currently work for Pride of Detroit over there at uh, the SB Nation, right? That's correct, yep. Okay, now, as, years a, now. as a Lions fan, you are a fellow suffering football fan. You're one of those who, you've never gotten to taste that rarefied air that so many of these other franchises have. And in that way, I feel like that already endears you to us and our listeners. And it's not entirely true. I mean, I, I buy Madden every year. My Lions do great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are also the inventor. And the reason we have you on here tonight of the relative athletic score, which to a lot of people who are listening to this for the who are listening to this now, it might not mean a lot, but it's going to. <sighs> I, guys, again, you want to talk about analytics and analysis taking you down a hole. The RAS system did it. Now, I have to ask, is this something that you did at the behest of anyone in particular, or did you just come up with it because you were bored? How is it that you went about creating the system you currently have? So this is in its, it's in its eighth year right now. I started this back in 2013, 2012, um, I started putting this together because every time around the draft, you'd hear all those buzzwords, and you still get that. Oh, this guy is this guy is quick. He's he's quick, but not fast. He's explosive. You know, you always hear those buzzwords. They don't really mean anything without any context behind it. Um, and I, so I started looking at a few of the players that people were talking about, and it usually came down to one drill: the forty-yard dash. Um, at the time, we had Le'Veon Bell that was coming out of MSU. I'm I'm live in Michigan. I, I work not even a few minutes from MSU, um, but regardless of that, they kept saying that he wasn't athletic. He wasn't very athletic. Athleticism concerns could drop him out of the first round, and ultimately they did. But it was all because he ran a 4.6 in the 40-yard dash. But he was ridiculously athletic for his size. For a guy of his weight and stature, he ran one of the best three cones that any player had ran or any running back had ran at the combine. And he was doing it really large for a running back. And I hated that people were saying he was unathletic because it wasn't really accurate. So I started digging into that. And like you said, it's, it's, it's a wormhole. Once you start looking into it, there's just more and more. You keep finding all of these things. So I started digging into data. My background is in, in uh, uh, cryptology, actually. I was a cryptologist in the Navy. Um, so it's code, coding and, and really? finding patterns. So you start seeing those patterns and you start putting them together. And then here I am several years later. I have my, my application you can download. It's going to be web-based by the end of next year. Everything's going to be available online um, so that people can go and look up these scores whenever they want to. They can pull up cards for any player all the way back to, like, 1987. Uh, so it's, it's really nice to get a look at what a player's athleticism looks like contextually compared to their position group, compared to the year that they came out. Um, you can't really get that just by looking at whatever they ran at the combine or what their vertical was. Because you tell the average person a guy had a 32-and-a-half-inch vertical, what does that mean? Okay, exactly. Is that good? That's why I hate the combine. Every year when the combine comes around and people start talking about it, Chris, what, I, I won't even I mean, talk about it on our show. You do hate the combine. You wouldn't happen to have Matt Milano's RAS score, would you? Oh, oh my absolutely. God. See, and I hated it. I hated And this is where... Yeah. It, Drew... Drew we get guys like you on to discuss the draft because Drew is not good at picking out draft picks that are any good. I'll give you two names that I thought were going to change the face of the NFL, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. I thought that uh, uh, Ryan Mallett was going to change the landscape of NFL quarterbacking. Landry Jones. I thought Landry Jones was the truth. 
and I thought it was a steal when the Steelers got him. You didn't like Matt Milano. Didn't like Matt Milano, and I thought Trey White was a terrible pick for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, you wanted Reuben Foster instead. Which tells you a lot about what I... I watch college football, but I don't understand. I don't understand <laughs> scouting. And so with that, when I look at guys... You know, I'm hearing you talk about Le'Veon Bell, and I'm thinking, hey, Chris, we just drafted a running back who I hated the night of the draft. I remember... On TV, having my head down. Live draft show, having my head down on and the table. And you flipped your tablet. Flip my tablet over. <laughs> because we drafted Devin Singletary, who also ran a 4-6. And he was one of our most explosive offensive players over the course of the season. Consistently churning out yardage, contact balance, and just, you know, he wasn't the fastest guy, but he could make you miss. And that's what you need as a running back. So with that, when I look at this RAS system, I'm really... I'm intrigued. I mean, you look at some of last year's RAS stars of the draft. Noah Fant, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin. Chris, those are guys you know because you've heard their names. In, they coincide with fantasy football. Yep. Okay. They turned out to be stars of that draft class, and yet none of them ended up, what, uh, Noah Fant got taken in the first round? Yeah, towards the end of the yep. first round. He was the first. He was the only one. McLaurin was, what, third round? Uh, I think so. Yeah, second or third round. I know he wasn't a first round pick. There was there was some talk early on about him being a first round pick, and then it fell out and it completely fell off, and you didn't hear about it again until he blew up in the middle of the season. So now, were you surprised to see the success guys like McLaurin and Metcalf had, given the fact that you kind of analyzed them from this mathematical pers- perspective? Were you surprised at their success? Not as much, but I, th- I thought it was funny because a lot of people kept kept tweeting at me about DK Metcalf because I I'm I post a lot of metric stuff. So when I kept posting about his agility, his really poor agility drills, people take that as if I'm against him as a player. It's like he still had a really high res. It was still in the nine sixes or something like that because every other metric he had was in like the ninety fifth percentile for a receiver. I mean, he was an absurd height, weight, speed, explosive athlete. He just doesn't have the agility drills. He's not going to so, run a jerk route, but at the same time, right. he can beat you deep down the field, which is exactly what he did. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all about contextualizing it, because if you have a guy, um, I know one of the guys that I was talking about earlier in the draft period was, was Eno Benjamin, because Eno Benjamin's another running back that's not super fast, but he's really explosive and he's quick, and that's how he measured. So he didn't come out of the, the combine with some ridiculous RAS score because he's not very big and he's not very fast. But what he does well is get away from defenders by being explosive and quick. And he measured perfectly fine there. He measured really well there. So you, if you can contextualize it and keep that in mind, that it's not always just about one thing, including RAS itself. Sometimes you just got to look at where a guy wins and if he does well at that area. And so now, just as an illustration of this, so that our fellow Bills fans can get a preliminary feel for how Raz scoring often proves out, when you look at players, and before we really dig into the just the history of defensive ends, because that's, I mean, that's, that's the hot topic of the night, Chris. Let's look at a pair of brand new, recently signed free agent D-tackles, Quentin Jefferson and Vernon Butler. Butler was a former first-round draft pick of the Carolina Panthers taken as a raw prospect with a perceived amount of upside. Low floor, but high ceiling. As everyone knows, his his career just hasn't taken off the way that it was envisioned that it would when he was drafted, which could coincide with the coaching staff leaving. I mean, Chris, 
he was drafted by one group of people who then immediately left town. But with that said, when you look at his RAS score, it illustrates a player who had great size, but his agility and speed were not optimal for the defensive tackle position. And it landed him a grade of 3.57. Now, the RAS system is graded from 0.00 to 10. This guy got a 3.57. Next to him, you have another defensive tackle drafted in the same draft class in 2016 in Quinton Jefferson, who was, again, just signed by the Buffalo Bills. Jefferson didn't get nearly the love that Butler saw, which is why he dropped to the fifth round. People said that he was an unpolished product and that he would need a lot of coaching in order to find his ceiling. But then when you can, compared to all of his data and you look at his RAS score, he came in at 8.6. That's five points higher than Butler. So Chris, when you look at their careers and you see the fact that Quentin Jefferson, what, we, we talked about it earlier, fifth in pass rush win rate as a defensive tackle, and then you're talking about Vernon Butler, who didn't have an impactful season and was almost an NFL afterthought until last year. Now, you can't discount coaching and the supporting cast in those conversations. But all things being equal, it tells you that at the time of the draft, Jefferson, at both his mental and physical best, has an ability to be a more impactful player from a straight athleticism standpoint than Butler, if coached to the same level. And I think their careers have kind of proven that out. I mean, do you think that that comparison can't hold some water? Absolutely. It, it also has to do with, with the type of player that, he, that they are. You know, Vernon Butler was a nose tackle, and he measured like a nose tackle. Nose tackles tend to be really big, really strong, at least average explosiveness for, compared to other defensive tackles, but they're bigger dudes. So having average explosiveness compared to you know, the little, the little 285-pound guys – that's huge if you're 320, 330 pounds. You know, you got you got 30, 40 pounds on some of these guys, and you're still hitting pretty decent numbers. But overall, that tends to make those scores look pretty low because you're missing out on all three of the speed metrics, the 40, 20, and 10, and then the agility drills. So that tends to pull something like Raz down when you have composite metrics. So it's not a surprise that a guy like Vernon Butler came in at a 3.57 because that's the type of player that he was. He was a nose tackle. And then you got a guy like Quentin Jefferson who came out at 291 pounds, if he had measured similarly to Butler, it would be atrocious because he doesn't have the size to make up for those areas. He's a quicker guy. He's a smaller guy. But those are the guys that tend to win in the passing game. So those are the guys who get the big contracts. That's where that big money is in the NFL is winning in the passing game. So you want to look for the more elite athletes if that's what you're looking for. If you're just trying to clog up some running lanes, that athleticism stuff doesn't matter nearly as much. You know, Snacks Harrison left the Lions. Uh, he was played for the Lions the last couple of years, played for the Giants before that. One of the best run stuffers in the entire NFL for almost a decade. Terrible athletic metric. But try running past him. Try overpowering <laughs> him. You, you, know? you, you, almost have to take, you almost have to take an Uber to get to the, the other side. Like when you're trying to get around a man that big. I mean, I, I got a friend of mine, Bob Gutierrez, who is a, he's a mailman. And he used to deliver the mail to One Bill's Drive. And he ran into Marcel Darius one of the days that he was leaving the building. And when I say ran into him, I mean physically like he had his head down digging through his mailbag trying to sort things out and ran into him. And he said that it was a pretty big hallway, but there still wasn't any chance that without knowing a predetermined path, he could have made it around Marcel Darius. Like that's how big these guys are. 
And it's even worse when they got their arms out. Vernon Butler has 35 and a quarter, and a quarter in, or an eighth inch arms. I mean, those, on top of being huge, there's big vines on each side of him. So when we talk about Rask as it pertains to the defensive end position, I mean, we just got done telling our listeners about how bad the Bills have been at picking defensive end talent. As a franchise going back to 85, we've sucked. It's been brutal. We've either avoided it completely or we've taken guys in the second and third round who tend to just flounder. You know, names that aren't memorable to anybody. So now, to tie this into history, now that we know what RAS is and how... Sorry, I just, I just looked it up. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to argue with that one. i got to <laughs> send you a screenshot of this. <laughs> so when I look at defensive ends... Pass rushers are a prized commodity in the NFL draft. I mean, no one, I don't need to have to explain that to anybody. We all know. We understand the value of having good pass rushers on rookie deals versus having to constantly spend premium dollars to obtain their services. We as a franchise, we've traded for Jerry Hughes, who was our best best defensive end, Chris, right? For what, the better part of half, uh, yeah. a yeah. decade, almost a decade? It still feels nice to say Kelvin Shepard. For Jerry Hughes. Kelvin Shepard for Jerry Hughes straight up, which is just highway robbery. Which which proves how bad Grigson was as a GM. Yes. It's why he went to the Browns, of all places. But then you look at the fact that we paid Mario Williams, who again, you're paying and you're trading and you're finding all these creative ways to come up with pass rushers. Why can't we as a franchise draft them well? It's not a surprise to anybody that the great ones are all taken early. I mean, their skill sets are coveted, but unique in the idea that it's not like a tight end, where sometimes you can find a Zach Ertz or a... Uh, yeah, we talked about that with Schofield. A, a lot of the better tight ends nowadays are you're getting in the second, third round, your Ertz, your uh, Kelsey's, mm-hmm. Kittles. Yeah. For defensive ends, the early bird truly does seem to get the worm when you look back at defensive end history. I mean, since 2006, there have been 66 pass rushers listed as defensive ends to hit the quote-unquote 20-sack threshold, according to Pro Football References Draft Query Database. And of them, 30 were drafted in the first round. So, Chris, the most productive defensive ends tend to be taken early. Kent, agree with me that that's kind of what you've seen in your tenure studying football. Oh, absolutely. You know, looking at looking at it from an athletic standpoint, the the uber athletes tend to go early, so it kind of lines up. the 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 uber athletes get picked earlier, they get more opportunities, and then they take advantage of. And then waiting on the defensive end position, Chris. Assuming that you're going to find a bargain, the evidence proves that that's a poor course of action. We just talked about all of the Bills. What Alex Carrington, Ryan Denny. These guys who will never be... Most of the Bills fans we're talking to right now don't even remember those names. They don't. Since 2007, there are just 26 defensive ends drafted outside of the first four rounds that have more than five career sacks. That's as of today, April 14th, Chris. Only 26 that have more than five career sacks. That's it. 117 defensive ends drafted in the last 13 years in the fifth round or later, and 22% of them have made almost no impact as pass rushers. So while you hear the stories of guys like Greg Hardy and Matt Judon that give you hope as a fan, like, hey, I can find this late-round gem, it'll be fine. 
It'll be fine. Kick, kick the can down the road a little bit. The reality is that it doesn't pay to wait in terms of drafting that edge talent if you expect them to play a real role for your team. Chris, does that information change the way you as the lay fan see the draft? Uh, yeah. I mean, considering we just went over how kind of aging our defensive end room is, you know, I, w- I want some, some young DNs in our room. ASAT pronto. Now, Chris, what I'm going to do for you is this. This massive workbook that I sent to Kent, <laughs> we're going to, you and I are going to sit here and take a look at it. I'm going to rotate my screen to you. And you're going to, okay, so if it's on a scale of 1 to 10, I've highlighted some of the drafts over the course of going back to 20, 2009. Some of the best values in the middle rounds of the draft, outside the first two rounds. Some of the best values, and then I've put the his RAS score up next to him. When you look at these guys, the Max Crosby's of the world, fourth round pick, but he got 10 sacks last year. Sam Hubbard, you know, 14 and a half sacks in two years. When you're talking about Yannick Ngakwe in 2016, who has 37 and a half, Chris, he might be one of the lone outliers here. They all seem to have a very high RAS score, correct? Yeah. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to filter this, and I'm going to bring you another group of players. Early round draft picks, but some of these guys, like your Nate Orchards in the second round, your Daquan Bowers in the second round, (laughs) your Quinton Couples in the first round, or your Deion Jordans third overall. What do they have in common? They're not in the league. Poor... Poor RAS scores, correct? Yeah. And just like that, boom! That's what I call correlation, people. I'm like an attorney over here building a case. (laughs) And just like that, I've built the case for RAS having having some play here as it comes to how the Bills have to approach this draft if defensive end is going to be a priority. Now that we've established the correlation, I want to use that as the lens we look at the depth of this class with. Now, Kent, when you take a look at the defensive ends in the 2020 draft, from top to bottom, what do you think of the overall athletic profile of the class? This is a really unique class, um, and that's not just the defensive end position. That's every position. But one of the great things about this defensive end class is it really forces you to take both the analytics from a metric standpoint and the tape into perspective. You can't just use one or the other. There's no Von Miller in this draft class. There's no Nick Chubb in this – or not Nick Chubb, the other Chubb. Bradley Chubb in this draft class. There's no there's no top tier un, undoubtedly great prospect outside of Chase Young, and he didn't measure. So there isn't a guy that you can look at and say his athletic profile is, is everything that you could possibly want. But you got a lot of guys that hit really high marks in a couple of different areas. So as long as you're using them to their strengths, you can take advantage of that. You've got a lot of guys in this draft class that are really explosive, great straight line speed. The guys that you can put on the edge and say, all right, go hunting and hope that they blast past their tackle. And yeah, you might have some plays where they don't have the bend to really get around that edge, where they get ran outside of the play. But if they beat their guy off the snap, which they'll do a fair amount of time during the game, then you can take advantage of that. Or you can scheme ways to get them open. Doing stunts is is one of the fancy ways that people like to do that. You can get guys in that way. So there's a lot of those guys, really explosive dudes. Um, And then you have other guys that maybe don't have all that explosiveness, 
but they're really quick. Um, Curtis Weaver out of Boise State was one of the guys that measured that way. He actually, I don't think he ran a 40, but he had really good agility drills, decent explosiveness drills, but he's really quick, and he's able to beat guys in a number of different ways. Is he the most explosive guy that's going to blast past everybody every play? No, but if he gets even a little bit of an angle past you, he can take advantage of it. So there's guys like that in this draft class too. You've got a really good variety, and if you have a coaching staff that likes to use one type of player or another type of player, or they're just the kind of guy that can take advantage of different types of matchups, it's a grab bag from this draft class. There's guys all over the place that you can get. So with that said, now I'm taking a look at this, and as we talk about the way the class itself breaks down, I'm looking at the spreadsheet I sent you, and I'm using Dean Kindig from BillsMafia.com and the DraftTech.com. I'm using okay. his kind of metrics as far as who the Bills have looked at. And I'm seeing that they've put eyes on pretty much all of the top, what, 12 to 15 pass rushers if you rely on outlets like CBS Sports, Sports Illustrated. So with that said, when I'm looking at these numbers and I take those names and I put a RAS score to them, I see some really poor numbers. I see guys like Greenard. I see guys like Bradley Anae. And AJ Epinesa, is that how it's pronounced? I think so. Epinesa. Okay. He's probably the one that confounds me the most. Because Epinesa was a guy who was talked about as being a defensive end that would almost assuredly go in the first round. He was climbing draft boards. Everyone loved his tape. And then he tested at the combine. And now he's being talked about as a day two, day three guy. What happened, and what can you say about the athleticism of the guys who kind of fill out the top half of this draft? You mentioned half of my favorite guys, so that works out really well. Um, <laughs> Epines is a great one. I wrote an entire article just about A.J. Epinesa right after the Combine uh, for Pro Football Network. You can go look it up. It's awesome, mostly because I wrote it, and it's about math. But <laughs> Epines is a great case study because even though he didn't measure well, if you came into the combine after watching his tape and thought he was going to run a good 40-yard dash, I don't know what tape you were watching because that's not where that dude wins, which is another thing that we come back to. How does a guy win? If your guy is huge with really long arms and powerful and at least reasonably explosive, that's not a guy that you're going to put on the edge and say, all right, you're going you're gonna to bend around that corner and go after somebody. That's not how that works. You put him at a five technique and you say overpower the dude in front of you or find a stunt, or beat him with technique, and A.J. Epinesa does that. Uh, I created an entire subcategory just to cover guys like that, which is any any defensive tackle under, I think I did 310 pounds, I'd have to look, but any defensive end at 275 or greater, and Epinesa hits that. He's at 275, he played a little bit heavier than that at Iowa. But once you put it in that subgroup that includes those, those defensive, or 3-4 defensive end types of guys, he measured an 8.77 for Raz instead of the 4.08 that he would as just a straight defensive end. Okay. And that's because you're not going to compare him to speed rushers that rush around the end, the guys that are going to have a sub-7-3 cone and run like a 4-6. That's not the type of player that he is. And he's not truly a defensive tackle either at 275 pounds. Would you call him a tweener so, then? Like you don't yeah, know where think, to put him. I think that, that term tends to have a little bit of a, a negative connotation to it, but that's that's what it is. He's, he fits in between two positions and I think if that's what you're looking for, if that's the type of, of scheme that you run that uses a guy like that, there isn't anybody better in this draft class that fits that. 
And it's it's a great study to look at that. And you mentioned a lot of other guys that I really like, and it helps because the Lions are also looking at all of those exact same players. Damn it. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here, Detroit. Boom. I can't help it, man. Take two a tag of Viola and go home. <laughs> Just get out of here. <laughs> so you mentioned Bradley and I, one of my favorite guys, but also a guy that I pegged as having a I, – I expect him to have an under – a Raz under five. I expect him to come in in a three range. Um, and he actually hit five even. So it, it worked out for him. That's actually a really good score from what I expected him to get. He's not all that fast. He doesn't win traditionally with explosion, but he's very technically sound. Uh, and this is where you have to kind of deviate from the tape a little bit because if a guy goes out and puts up the kind of production that Bradley and I does, but he doesn't have the athletic traits, it doesn't mean he has no value in the NFL. It means you can still find that value if you know what you're looking for. Bradley and I is very te- technically sound. He does his job very well. He's a very good tackler. He's able to take on defensive or offensive tackles in a number of different ways. You can put him on the edge and rely on him to do his job. Now, projecting that into the NFL – is he going to be a 10-plus sack guy? Probably not. But if you're looking at a guy who can do a role and set the edge in the NFL and keep his run game going, then he'll do that, and he'll provide some value in the pass game as long as you have other guys who can do things well. Linebackers who can blitz thrive having a player like an eye up front because he can eat up that tackle and give them space. See, you'd hope so, but at the same time, what I'm afraid of is that when I see this, I also see shades of Quinton Couples. I see a guy who's overdrafted. He gets taken by a team who, you know, I mean, Chris, anytime the Jets blow a pick. It's a good day. It's a good day. <laughs> but, yeah. But you, but, but you watch you watch this stuff happen, and you, you kind of, I don't know, you, you, you start to – Look at the athleticism of his players, and you say, okay, that guy, he, he had a bad senior year, and yet he went high because of his previous accolades. Maybe he wasn't as good as he would have been, which is why that you see so much volatility. Chris, we t- I just said it. How many uh, out of 66 defensive ends drafted, in the, drafted early? 30 of them are over that metric of 20 sacks? Yeah. Okay. That means that there's a whole category of players who didn't, qualify for that and i think that there's a high bust rate in between in between first round picks i mean think about pass rushers eric flowers bills fans will forever remember the perfect defensive end and then coming here and essentially just playing patty cake with everybody on the offensive line until he got just washed out of the nfl so with that we don't chris we're in the unique position where we don't have a first round draft pick so we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, we don't have a first-round draft pick. We're at 54, and we got to, there's a lot of options that we could go at 54, whether it's running back, corner. Hopefully, DN would probably well, be, my, the DN would be my second choice. And I guess that's the thing, is when you look at where this team is weak right now, we already have Devin Singletary, who proved he's pretty good. We don't have a whole lot of depth behind him. Right now, TJ Yeldon, who, according to Sean McDermott, is a third-down... Chris, I can't even say it with a straight face. He's not a third-down running back. No. He's not a three-down guy. But we have running backs they like. And maybe they'll find some other guys late in the draft or wherever. But early on, Chris, I just ran down for our listeners what a devastating need defensive end is for this team. We're old and we're not that talented. 
So if you wanted to look there in the middle rounds, what is your feel about that? I mean, we talked about how you view the class at the top end. Rounds two through four, five, how do you feel about the depth of this class? Yeah, where where is this year's Max Crosby? <laughs> Yeah, and you already you already talked about looking out for elite athletes, and a lot of the guys that hit those elite athletic thresholds in this draft class are not your highly touted guys. You already mentioned a couple of guys that didn't measure all that well that are rated really high. But those guys that are going to hit those middle rounds, that's where you want to start looking. Uh, Derek Tuscott of North Dakota State is one of the least talked about players in this draft class, and he's one of the only defensive ends Actually, I think he might have been the only defensive end, straight-up defensive end, that hit a sub-7 three-cone at the combine. He had a 6.87 in the three-cone. That's, that's one of those individual metrics that you that really get your ears perked up because a pass rusher that hits that 7 or below three-cone, those are the kind of guys you want to look for. He went to North Dakota State, so it's not the biggest school, but that's a huge threshold to hit, and he ended up with an 8.63 Raz. Well, I guess if we're going to talk about this draft from the standpoint of Bills fans, there's something you as an outsider have to understand about our front office, because I know you don't pay attention to it. Our coaching staff, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, has, has established a pattern of drafting that says that they trust elite athleticism, and then they trust their staff to coach them into football players. You saw it with the fact that our team decided to eschew who, Chris, my pick for quarterback, Josh Rosen. Oh, no, they took Josh Allen. Probably the biggest project out of that entire quarterback class. But he had athleticism that none of those other quarterbacks could touch. Then they traded up in that same draft to take Tremaine Edmonds, who at six foot five and 255 could run with most slot receivers. Again, they, they, then Chris, you saw it with guys where they draft in the seventh round and they take Daryl Johnson. Oh, yeah, the pterodactyl. The pterodactyl. <laughs> His wingspan is literally taller than the tallest, longer than the tallest NBA player. How do you not? What they do is they prioritize things that you can't teach and then assume that they as a team can teach these players to be football players. And so in that way, it's kind of shaded their drafting and their draft habits. So that's why your system, to me, now looking at where the Bills are forced to draft in the second, third, fourth round, there's going to be some guys who fall into that range who are exceptional athletes who just don't get, I think, the love maybe they, maybe they deserve. And so with it, I'd like to talk to you about some of them. And the first one, the big one for me, Jabari Zuniga. Guy out of Florida. Now, I watch a ton of SEC football. He flashes every single game for the Gators last season. You saw him again and again and again. He's, he's physical. He's not a small guy. <laughs> I mean, he's 6'3", 264, which is pretty big for playing in a... Would you agree with me? It's kind of a 3-4 hybrid defense down there in Florida. Yeah, for sure. So... Seeing him play at 6'3", 264, he could project to playing at a 4'3", defensive end. Yeah, absolutely. His size is, is great for, for that type of position. And, and you already mentioned that our defenses are fairly similar to the types of players that they're looking at. And he's a guy the Lions are probably looking at also. Boo! Um, get, out, get, get off my guy! Boo! <laughs> it's okay. We like slow players. You guys want the fast <laughs> and explosive ones. Uh, <laughs> But you already said he's a big dude and he's explosive. He ran a 4.64, 95th percentile 40-yard dash. 
He ran a, he, he jumped a 10-7 broad, which is 97th percentile. He's big, he's fast, and he's explosive. Uh, he's another one of those guys I mentioned that maybe he's not going to bend that edge every time like he wanted to. He didn't measure in the agility drill, so we don't have a good gauge on it. But uh, but he if you have a guy that you want to blast past somebody and power do that speed to power where he's able to get up into a guy quickly and get around him and get past him, that's the kind of guy you want to get to do that. He's not the most technically sound type of dude, but he's got the physical traits to do exactly what you want him to, get to the quarterback quickly. And that seems to be in the mold of where our GM drafts these kind of project players. Hey, I like a guy with all the athleticism in the world. We trust we can teach him. He has a 9.75 RAS score, according to your schedule here. And what I'm looking at, I mean, that seems to check out. So I guess my question to you is why has he not flown up draft boards the way you would expect a guy with that athleticism to? Part of it has to do with how this process has played out. The guys that have those big measurements, you, you tend to hear a lot, about, a lot more about them after their pro days because the, a guy like him, he either would have done his agility drills and maybe he does well and you get more buzz behind him, but he skipped the agility drills, which means no cone, which again, that's one of the most important metrics for a pass rusher. Um, so he didn't get that that extra bump that he would have gotten if he had ran that final drill and done well there. Um, but it's it's always going back to the tape, and he re- he looks exactly like his athletic profile says on tape. He's big, fast, and explosive. But he wasn't getting ta- lauded very highly before that. So you you never want to count things twice and say, well, he's athletic, and then he's athletic on tape also. You know, you've already counted it once. So. I think the reason that you don't see him flying up anymore is his tape hasn't really changed, and he hasn't had a chance to do anything else, to show anything additional that he can do to, to kind of push him up boards a little bit. So then on the flip side of this, we want to talk about so – you're talking about a guy who's explosive as an athlete. I want to talk about Nick Coe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nick Coe is a guy – I mean, we're talking about brands of defensive ends. Nick Coe, he's interesting to me simply because of his size. And that he is seemingly all over the map draft projections. I mean, some folks have him pegged as a lock to go in rounds two through three. Others have him picked as low as 190. <laughs> you think he's yeah. the 190th most talented player in the draft. What is it that's causing this? Because I know you gave him a low RAS score. I did, but you know what? He's 280 pounds and 6'4 with long arms, so he falls into that subcategory just like just like AJ Epinesa did. Um, so even though he had a 4.39 RAS at defensive end, you put him as a defensive lineman, and he's got a 9.33. You're looking at a guy who has speed and explosiveness if you're using him to rush a little bit more from the inside. You know, you're not going to put him all the way out at the nine and expect him to run all the way past somebody and run around that edge. He's not going to edge anybody. But if you put him at the five technique and use, use, have him use that power and that explosiveness inside to be able to get after somebody, he can do that. But again, it's a value thing, just like A.J. Epinesa. Not every team uses a player like that. And the teams that do sometimes don't use him right. You'll have some teams that will use a guy like that and just throw him as a pass-rushing defensive tackle. So now you have a guy who's getting maybe 10, 15 snaps a game. They're not using him. 30, 40 snaps a game to really try to, to, to take advantage of those matchups. They get kind of shoved into that, that role player type of position rather than getting used or developed into a more starting role because of how their scheme operates. So that's kind of where that falls into. I mean, his size is going to be intriguing to people. I mean, first of all, he's from Auburn, so fuck that guy because I'm an <laughs> Alabama fan. War Eagle. 
course I'm doing a podcast with a guy who loves Auburn. I don't love Auburn. My brother went there. I just support him. He's 6'5", 291. So, obviously, he's... <laughs> even though you gave him a 4.4 RAS score, he's... He's clearly going to get some love from teams that prioritize what he does. They're just not going to spend on it early. So, Ken, one of the other, one of the other prospects, Travis Gibson. He's getting a lot of love early, and I don't. I, I've uh, Tulsa. <laughs> I don't. I don't know anybody who watches Tulsa play college football. So, explain to me why this guy is being touted as one of the higher end picks of this draft. So there's another guy that's pretty big. He's 261 pounds. He has really long arms. Uh, he benched great despite having long arms, which not a lot of guys do. Me? Uh, hey, I'm that guy. <laughs> I, I'm 5'11", but I have the wingspan that dictates that I have to get shirts two sizes bigger and then get them slim fit because my <laughs> arms are so long. The guy measured me. Whenever I go to get suits, he measures me from armpit to wrist and then looks at the tape. And does it like two more times, and finally I'm like, no, it's not the tape lying to you. I'm, my, my nickname as a kid was Magilla. Because <laughs> they'd be like, oh, Magilla, your knuckles are dragging on the ground. I have long arms. <laughs> well, so does he. And I'll tell uh, you, but he, also, he also measured out as a great athlete, too. He has the speed and the explosion. So you put those things together, teams are going to take notice. Uh, he didn't run a very good cone time, but his shuttle was really good, which tells you that the, the traits are there. He's got some agility. Maybe he just needs to have it refined a little bit. Uh, he ended up with an 8.8 Raz. Uh, I think the only thing really holding him back now is he plays for Tulsa. <laughs> See, and that's exactly it. That's where I think that the Bills, if they wanted to dip into that end of the pool and decide that, Chris, we talked about, there's no developmental talent long-term here on this roster for defensive end. No. If you're gonna if you're gonna bet on it, this team seems to choose high athleticism over everything else. Why not the defensive end position? So with that said, I want you to give me a quick rundown because I'm looking at some of these RAS cards you just sent, and oh my god, some of these names, guys with high scores. Who are some of your favorites in let's call it the second to fourth round range to be taken? So I mentioned Curtis Weaver before from Boise State. Uh, he didn't get a complete card because he didn't run a 40, and of course Boise State didn't have their pro day. Uh, but he ran a 7 flat in his cone time. He's got a really weird body type. Uh, if you're just looking at his height, weight, and his arm length, it doesn't really seem all that odd. He's 6'2", 265, 32 and, and 3 8 inch arms. That's not too weird, but if you actually go look at him, he's got a kind of weird, lankier body type. Uh, I think that, that teams are, are kind of undervaluing him because of that. Uh, but he's a really good player on tape. If you have a scheme that is similar like the, like the Lions, which looking at the players that you're looking at, that, that, that does seem like that's something that you guys are looking into. He's a perfect type of, of blitzing edge linebacker, guy that can move around your defense and, and rush the passer from multiple platforms. He's that type of player. He's not just an edge guy. He's a guy that you can move around and kind of take advantage of different matchups. Uh, but he's one of my favorite players. I expect him to go kind of top of the sixth, the second round, right around 35, I think. Be a good spot for him. <laughs> Are you hoping? Uh, <laughs> Are you hoping 35? Yeah, it's it, he could go there. Um, Alton Robinson from Syracuse is another guy. He's an uber athlete. He's he's 264 pounds. Uh, he ran a, an elite elite speed drills, elite explosion drills, great agility drills. 
everything that you really want from from a pass rusher. A lot of technical refinement needed. Uh, you mentioned having talent but needing development. That's exactly the type of player I think Alton Robinson is. Um, another guy that might get a little bit of looks a little bit later is DJ Wanham on the South Carolina. Uh, he had an 8.04 RAS. Uh, he's a, a 260, a little bit under 260, so he's not quite as big as some of these other guys, but he has really long arms, huge hands. Uh, I think it was 10.5-inch hands. Um, good speed, really good explosiveness. Um, he's one of those guys that will get their arm underneath you and just power his way past you because you can't get the, the tackles can't get their hands on him. Um, so it's, it's kind of pairing that that size and length with with a, one elite athletic trait uh, and just kind of kind of winning with one thing over and over. So he's a really interesting uh, mid to late round guy that the team should be looking at. And then you already mentioned Travis Gibson that teams are going to be looking at uh, and Derek Tuscott of North Dakota State that I mentioned earlier. So we've, what we've if, kind of already talked about some of them. Well, what about this guy? Okay, I'm looking at your at your spreadsheets. James Smith Williams, defensive end at a North Carolina State, which has kind of a pedigree of producing some some big, oversized, lanky defensive end talent. You know, you've got Mario Williams, then you've got uh, what's it, Dale Johnson. Now we're talking about James Smith Williams. He posted a 9.02 RAS score. Is he a guy who's draftable for a 4-3 defense or no? Well, if you have a guy that's 265 pounds and just ran just north of a 4.59, I mean, he ran a 4.6 flat. At that kind of size, with that kind of speed, you can find a use for that. Uh, and I know I, I get I get I get hit on for talking about uh, forty yard dash a lot with defensive ends because they're, oh they're when are they going to run forty yards? You want to look at that ten split? Well, go ahead with James Smith Williams. He ran a one six two forty yard split. That's that's a full tenth of a second better than the, the that mark you want them to hit that one seven one or lower. So he hit those marks. He's got that speed and that explosion to take advantage of a tackle and sleeping on the job. So you put him on the edge and you teach him how to, to, to anticipate the snap and how to get, get ahead of his blocker, teach him a little bit about leverage. Suddenly you've got a guy that's big, fast, and explosive who can chase down anybody. So when you, as an outsider, clearly you're not a Bills fan, and you're hoping that a lot of this defensive end talent falls to your own team. Absolutely. Okay, so with that said, when you take a look at the makeup and the RAS scores that are involved with these defensive ends. If the Buffalo Bills wanted to wade into those waters between rounds two, three, four, you know, like I said, five seems to be the fringe of production because there's nobody after six who's really ever come on and been a force in the NFL. If you're trying to find a guy, do you like the odds, or do you think that this class is so weak in guys who would seem like they're falling into that category but have high RAS scores that the Bills might be better off putting it off another year? Or do you think that this might be the year that the Bills should look at that because there's a, there's a number of guys who are capable of filling that void? Yeah, this is one of those years where if your team is, is structured really well and you just need somebody to play a role – You've got whatever you want. Like I said before, it's a grab bag. You can get whatever you want. Uh, but the developmental guys come with significant risk. They're either really unrefined, they have a lot of technical work that they need to do, um, or there's some other other factor about that risk, like the small school, the level of competition. So this is one of those years where if you're trying to get a guy in the second or third round, 
you're probably looking at a guy that you can you can have work immediately and start immediately and play immediately. The ceilings on the guys in this class that you're going to get there are not going to be as high. We talked about Bradley and I. You mentioned John Greenard, who's in a very similar kind of vein. Those are guys that will come in day one and be able to start for you and play, get significant snaps, help your defense. But maybe that's not your 10-sack-a-year guy. Maybe that's not your elite starter that you can put outside and win with and sign to a big contract in his, when, he, when he comes up on it because he's, he's a cornerstone of your defense. I don't know that you're going to find one of those guys in the second and third round of this draft. But you look in the fourth and fifth rounds, that's when you start looking at, okay, we need a guy that we can develop into one of those guys, a guy that has the tools that we can build on. That's when you really start looking at this class and find those intriguing ones. So I think that's probably where you're going to find that. If the Bills want to get somebody that just helps immediately, it might not be as high of a ceiling guy. But I don't know, maybe they do both. Maybe they jump at both and they get a guy that can help right now and they can be that role player and they get somebody else that they can develop into that long-term starter role. Kent, that was phenomenal. All of this information, it's just listening to you talk about this and just kind of Peppering in my questions, you satisfied a lot of my curiosity about this defensive end class. Who are some of your favorite sleepers? Just if you want to plant your flag, who are some of the guys that you see coming out of this draft that you're willing to put it out there and say, this is a guy that I think is going to do phenomenal? That's a tough one because, like I said, a lot of the guys that are, are rated higher are generally your lower ceiling type guys. Um I would probably have to put that at, at Alton Robinson out of Syracuse. I already mentioned him as one of the top athletes in the class, a guy that you, you can really develop. I think if a team gets a hold of him that has a dedicated coaching staff that can really work out some of his technical flaws, he could be the top pass rusher in this class outside of, of course, Chase Young. But, uh, yeah, there aren't, there aren't a whole lot of guys that, that really blow you out of the water in this class. A.J. Epinesa, if he lands in the right scheme – could be the best player in this draft class. But it's so scheme-specific, and you're, you're still banking on the fact that he can do all of those things that you saw at Iowa and, and overcome the fact that he isn't the fastest guys. So uh, I think my favorite player is probably Epinesa, but if you're looking at a guy who's outside of those first couple of rounds that could have the highest ceiling, that, that's probably going to be Alton Robinson for me. So you're saying he might be a fit for a team that has a defensive head coach... <laughs> former head coach, defensive coordinator, who doesn't laminate their play sheets? Oh, yeah, no no <laughs> laminated play sheets. They, they swear often. you got to have that. You, you, can't, you can't cut back on the cussing when you're talking about line play here. <laughs> <laughs> Kent, this has been, a, to me, a phenomenal conversation. I love everything you're doing over there. Why don't you tell everybody listening where they can find your work and what you're doing over for Pride of Detroit? Yeah, uh, so you can find me on Twitter, at MathBomb. I'm available all the time. I, I love talking football. I love talking metrics. love talking the draft. I answer as many questions as I can. Hit me up. Um, as you can mentioned, I, I write for the MathBomb. Yeah. MathBomb. Yeah. Do you really love math that much that you made it your I Twitter? I love math. Oh, my God. It was I, the bane of my existence. <laughs> I code in my spare time, man. I, I get out of work, 
and I immediately get back on my like I don't even get off my computer because I work on my computer. So I, I just get off and I start working on coding, different ways of looking at math and and analytics and finding different ways to look at numbers. I love churning numbers. I'm God a total nerd and in a different kind of way. All right. Cool and, so, but, well, so, ba- so over at Pride of Detroit, what do you do for them? Uh, I'm one of the senior writers at, writers at Pride of Detroit. I generally do a lot of their draft coverage. I pretty much take over the site uh, <laughs> for, from from about March till April. I, I take over the site. Um, I do a lot of a lot of player profiles, a lot of rankings, a lot of stuff there. Um, I just got hired on at Pro Football Network. We're going to be expanding a lot of my relative athletic scores work. Uh, I mentioned that a lot of that stuff's going to be online very soon. Um, if you've used the Pro Football Network uh, mock draft simulator, all my scores are going to be on there pretty soon. Uh, so you can find my work there. Uh, and then at RelativeAthleticScores.com, if you're looking for what a player scored in, in the last 34 years, uh, you can go search them over at RelativeAthleticScores.com, and if they've got a score, you'll find them. All right, you can go find Kent on Twitter, at MathBomb. If you guys have any player that's in college right now, maybe a current Bill player, you want to know their RAS score, give Kent a tweet. He'll tweet you their card. It's incredible the amount of research he's done. Chris, I think we just found another staple of our... Uh, draft guests? Off-season draft work. I think so, too. It was a good that conversation. That conversation was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Chris, next week, before we get out of here, wide receiver preview and NFL draft night primer with Brett Coleman. He's joining. He's coming back. I mean, the Bills technically were not picking till night two. And so given that wide receivers, Chris, tell me the depth of that position hasn't been the talk of the whole offseason. Well, I think before the Stefan Diggs trade had gone down, we had kind of outlined our draft schedule to where we would end with wide receivers because that's where we thought we, we could be going with our first-round pick that we eventually traded away, but... You know, like we said throughout the show, you know, we there's a lot of versatility at 54. We can go D-end, we can go running back, wide receiver. Chris, you could name nine different positions we could take there. Punter. It's a complete... Punch kicker for Tampa Bay. You take either one of those, I'll fight you. I'll fight you in my basement for speaking that into just into existence. We're also going to talk about the ways the draft is destined to be different this year. Just dissect the ways it might impact how the Bills might go about their business. Chris, there's no crowds. Chris, I talked about I talked to my wife about this last night. What are the bills? The bills are on the clock. You're killing time in the second round. What are you talking about as a network? Not the crowds. What do you try to recap the last twenty yeah. picks? But in the first round, what do you have? You just talk about all the players drafted. You don't have any. You have a a dais that consists of people social distancing six feet away from each other. Yeah. Because they don't want to spark any public ire like, uh, you know, Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott did this week. (laughs) And then you also have just, there's no crowd. So it's not like you can pan over them and talk about the, you can talk about the guys who were previously drafted, but how many rounds can you do that for? Show highlights for this draft is going to be weirder than anything we've ever seen. Yeah, it's going to be odd. I was looking forward to it being held in Las Vegas and how the whole stage was going to be set up. So was Kyle Washington. Yeah. Well, was he going? Yeah. Well, sucks to be you, Kyle. (laughs) I hope we fight you at some point. Chris, I hope most people fight you. I love you. But, man, (laughs) do I love to watch you get beat up. Yeah, (laughs) because... 
Because you're the kind of person that was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll, I will fight that person. But then there's sometimes where I'll say something and go, eh, well, you kind of deserve it. And yeah, well, yeah, they're coming <laughs> to you. I'll let you take that beating. Chris, I, and this is what I think makes me a good father. A good candidate to be a father is that I'm willing to let you take the lumps I think you need to take. <laughs> and then draft night, folks. Rock Sports Network. Usually we do our annual draft show at 34 Rush. You know, Batavia Downs. This year, social distancing mandates. We can't do that. Do it outside in the parking lot? We're doing it live on Zoom. Ah. Both Thursday and Friday, Ryan Lacell, Icy Vic, Paula Mario from Hashtag Sports, Clayton Garrett of Cold Front Report is going to join us this year, which is going to be fun because Chris, good kid, knows his shit. Yeah, I just feel bad for uh, whenever they throw the the microphone to Paul Wineski's way because he has Spectrum. <laughs> and uh, we know his video feed will cut out. Ultimately, you can follow our... Listen, we're going to be doing it live over at Rock Sports Network on Facebook. Let me ask you guys, what do you want? Do you want to listen to what amounts to the B-Squad from ESPN and NFL Network? Try and make filler conversation for five and a half hours while these picks come in. Or would you rather listen to Bill's and AFC-centric conversation and analysis brought to you by guys who, well, not handsome enough for regional TV, are sure as hell more informed than anybody talking on that dais when it comes to our teams and the teams that we play against? I think you all already know the answer. Chris, in the rundown of tonight's show, we're going to post the, the Math Bomb website. Yeah, uh, the relative athletic score. Boom. We're going to put a link to the Facebook page for Rock Sports Network where you can watch the draft show. And most importantly for next week, since it is the show leading into the draft, we will make a couple of draft Seagram's bets. It's going to be wild. Yes. Guys, thank you for coming out for our 200th episode. It's as long as we want it to be because, Chris, ultimately we're the boss here, right? Yes. Tony Danza style. Having said that, though, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Kent Lee Platty. Thank you all for showing up for five years and hopefully, Chris, dozens more. <laughs> this has been the Rockball Report. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.